And welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast hosted by a couple of your favorite people from Philadelphia. I'm Sam, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Connor, Christine, and Dave. Now, folks, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded, so we had Thanksgiving, and over Thanksgiving and, like, this little recording break we've had, uh, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front twice. Oh, the new one? Yeah, the new one. Mm. Uh, the second time, not really by choice. I enjoyed the movie, sort of. Um, I found it to be kind of excruciating, though. Um, and so watching it the second time, I actually liked it more, which was kind of wild. So maybe it was a, a Thanksgiving, a holiday miracle. Who's who's really to say? But in that break, have any of y'all seen anything fun? Or how was your break? Uh, it's pretty good. Spent some time at home, hanging out with the family, which is nice, reconnecting a little bit. Um, I showed my dad Barbarian, which he quite enjoyed. So that was a really fun revisit. That movie kind of uh, even stronger a second time. Still kind of have a, a couple issues with the ending, but on the whole, I think it's one of the better horror movies of the year, as I've said before. I watched Barbarian twice also. <laughs> I don't know why I kept repeating things. What an interesting movie. My God. There are some movies where after I watch them, I'm like, we got to I can't wait to do it on the podcast one day. And Barbarian uh, is definitely one of those. So um, a movie I can't wait to bring to the podcast and I have no idea what theme it would go under is a movie that I've watched uh, as a part of a theme that I'm doing uh, with some other friends, a movie theme I'm doing with some other friends called Crowvember where we've watched either Cameron Crowe movies, Russell Crowe movies. We also watched The Crow, which I'd never seen before. And I I liked a lot. I mean, I always thought people watched it because of the, like, uh, Brandon Lee, Brendan Lee dying during the shooting of it, or and that sort of adding to the mythos of the movie. But anyhow, but the movie that I want to recommend is Darren Aronofsky's Noah, which... Uh. I watched when it came out. I was like, I want to stay as far away from this movie as humanly possible. Nothing about this movie sounds enticing. I would recommend listeners out there give it a shot because it is a bonkers movie, but it is like a Lord of the Rings sci fi take on the Noah story that actually resonates so much in today's like climate apocalypse era. Like, it has a really interesting take on how one sort of like, I'm so sorry. My cat is going insane. Uh, But basically the movie has a take on like how one like thinks about the climate apocalypse and like facing uh, the end of both humankind and like the environment as we know it. And so it's got some really weird choices. The, the movie makes some really weird choices, but I would recommend it if you're if you're down to watch Russell Crowe, like uh, do a weird performance and yeah, just a weird t- sci-fi take on Genesis. That's all I'll say. Check it out. Write us an email if you watch it. I don't really 
Well, I, I don't know how I can follow up that a recommendation of Noah. <laughs> but uh, I get so the only thing I think really to report on is um, Alyssa and I watched season three of Netflix's Love is Blind. Uh, sometimes those reality Netflix shows hit hit for me and uh, Love is Blind kind of, you know, I, I watched a little bit of season one and then all of season three and people are crazy. People do crazy stuff to be on television. Um, the other show that uh, Nick and Vanessa Lachey host um, is The Ultimatum, which is even wilder uh, of like a reality show. So had some fun there with Love is Blind season three. Well, all right then. So going from people will do crazy things to get on TV to people will do crazy things to go to the Olympics. Uh, my pick for our uh, bio pick month is Eddie the Eagle. So Eddie the Eagle came out in 2016. I actually saw this in a double feature with my friends. Uh, we did this. No, we did Deadpool. One or two, no, one, and then this, which uh, okay. I don't think that I I had my uh, strong feelings about Ryan Reynolds before that. And I think Deadpool was like one of the reasons why I started to dislike Ryan Reynolds. So who knew that in, in one day I'd be like, eh, and then yay, oh my goodness. Anyway, so Eddie the Eagle, directed by Dexter Fletcher, who also did Rocket Man. Uh, this movie was uh, written by Sean McCauley and Simon Kelton, and it stars Taron Egerton, Hugh Jackman, Christopher Walken, and a few more folks. Uh, the budget of this movie was about $23 million, and at the box office, it made about $46.2 million. So, like, eh, returns. Um, but I think I saw it somewhere along the Wikipedia that it was Britain's highest grossing British made movie in 2016, whatever the fuck. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Who's to say? That's sort of <laughs> apropos to the uh, the story in a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Underperforming in a way, but setting British records. So, yep. Yeah, so fitting. So I have seen Eddie the Eagle several times. Um, how about you folks? Was this everyone's first go round? Mm-hmm. This was my first time. My first two. And Dave, your two. So, what did everybody think about it? Overall, it was a really sweet movie uh, that I think, you know, I've sometimes, I feel like sometimes when we do themes, kind of like the want, the type of movies that we pick are just sort of scattershot. But I think all four of us have picked really interesting selections from the biopic genre where this is kind of like sweet, heartfelt, kind of inspiring story of somebody trying really hard is like a really common theme with biopics. And I think Eddie the Eagle, for me, mostly pulls it off of a nice little runtime, sweet story, uh, really good performance from Taron Edgerton. Um, always love seeing Taron and talking about Taron. Uh, and a guest appearance from Christopher Walken, who's appeared twice in this theme, which was um, surprising. So overall, like it didn't blow my socks off, but not every movie needs to. Thanks, Connor. Uh, other thoughts? Yeah, I um, I had never seen it. I think I remember it coming out and being like, ooh, I love like a fun British comedy, uh, you know, based on real events and things like that. And then it sort of fell to the wayside, never returned to it until now. Um, and I think like Connor, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I don't, I think to me, the standout performance was Hugh Jackman. I thought Taron Edgerton, you know, like, did 
what he had to sometimes some, I, I was a little sort of confused by some choices that he made as far as his performance. I loved rocket man. So it's interesting that like both the, the direct, the director did both of those, but I think the joy to watch was Hugh Jackman, just ha- like hamming it up and just also making some bizarre choices, but like in a way that I was just like, give me more. Um, yeah. So it's always a, a, a joy to watch Jackman do his thing. And his range is so great. Yeah. And his fun little black sunglasses that are like the welders wants to like wrap around until he steals a pair. We'll, we'll get into it. That's so funny because I several times I like turned to my roommate Heather and was like, that's just Wolverine, huh? That's just that's just Wolverine. Anyway, D- Dave, thoughts. Well, this is the uh one of the more Sam biopics that I can imagine as far as selections go. Uh, I think this one checks an awful lot of boxes uh for things that you're into as far as um, you know, on plucky underdog protagonist uh who has obstacles and uh doubts that they have to overcome whether they be theirs or uh their parents in particular taken under the wing of a gruff and a little bit rough around the edges but ultimately a very tender mentor and uh reaching certain heights but you know maybe not necessarily being the greatest and everything i think that's very very in your lane and especially in terms of the tone uh this is a movie as i think we've all said is very sweet which for me it is almost like reach, reaching for a glass of iced tea and finding out with after a confident gulp that it sweetened, um, <laughs> because um, I I think th- this maybe just isn't quite the tone that I'm used to or that into. That being said, I don't think that it's a bad movie by any means. I think it it's it's stick-to-itiveness in its tone is admirable. It's it's maybe just one of those cases where um it, it's a little sweet for my taste, but I, I did enjoy most of it. Yeah, thanks everybody. I, I think that you're right. I think that this movie is simple and it is sweet. And the the reason for that is because it's really following uh, a person, Michael Edwards, Eddie the Eagle, through a very specific time in his life. And there's really not much more career-wise to discuss other than like this significant moment when he actually does qualify and go to the Olympics. Because I think like, so Eddie tries to qualify for the Olympics three more times after 1988 and doesn't get there. And I think like that would have been devastating to have a, a movie about. So might as well just do something short, sweet, a little goofy, a little quirky, and apparently like a like a British household legend. I'm this is, you know, a person I had never heard of. I'm not like too into the Olympics. I'm not all of that keyed into British pop culture more now than before, but um, this was still pretty new to me. So what is Eddie the Eagle? Here's a little synopsis. I honestly, I have no idea where this came from. Google? Um, I hate to say that, but this is plagiarized. So 
Cut from the Olympic ski team, British athlete Michael Eddie Edwards travels to Germany to test his skills at ski jumping. Fate leads him to Bronson Perry, a former ski jumper who now works as a snowplow driver. Impressed by Edwards' spirit and determination, Perry agrees to train the young underdog. Despite an entire nation counting him out, Eddie's never-say-die attitude takes him all the way to a historic and improbable showing at the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary, Alberta. So um, just a, a, a little bit more about Eddie. So Michael Edwards, born in 1963. Uh, this takes place in 1988, as the synopsis suggests, uh, where he became the first competitor since 1928 to represent Great Britain in Olympic ski jumping. Uh, he finishes last in the Normal Hill and Large Hill events, but he held the, the British ski jumping record until 2001. So he had it for about 13 years, which is very funny. Um, after Eddie's performance in 1988, the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, instituted the literal Eddie the Eagle rule, which requires Olympic hopefuls to compete in international events and be placed in the top 30% or top 50 competitors. Uh, so basically, the IOC was like, let's never let this happen again. And the movie sort of shows that. And so I'm wondering what you folks think about this in general, like having so many rules, requirements of people qualifying for the Olympics. Should average people like Michael Eddie Edwards be able to, to compete? What do you think? I think that's probably the most interesting thing going on with this film is the idea of like who who's allowed in and who isn't. Uh, and so I think in a movie that could have been much, I think, much sappier, much less interesting. I think this is kind of like an interesting thematic hook to kind of hang the movie on. And so I, I kind of love the idea of just if nobody in Great Britain has done it for what, like 50 years or 40 years even longer than just you know hey if he can do it if he can just barely qualify um let him do it and they talk about the end of the movie of like it's about the struggle not necessarily about actually being the best uh and for him getting last place was kind of enough and you know what he kind of won in the end because there's a whole olympic rule named after him how many players how many like olympic athletes have something in the rule book with their name on it for not like a bad reason for like a kind of like admirable okay we let this one guy in he did it but now you know and so i think i think the rule change kind of makes sense uh but i thought that was kind of an interesting thing for the movie to work through and talk through it was also interesting that the jamaican bobsled team story happened that same year and yeah. those references to another sort of uh, improbable olympic story was just an interesting quick thread that clearly played out throughout this whole Calgary games. But like Connor was saying, I, um, I think there is something so interesting about how the movie touches on the question of, as you said, Connor, who deserves, you know, to be at the Olympics. I also think it's interesting. I was reading like a, a guardian article about like a British publication about this movie. And like the writer was like, it's a very British thing to like, get obsessed with people that are really bad at, at skills. And I, I didn't think that it, like, it was interesting that this writer was like, oh, it's a very British thing to sort of like maybe in an almost exploitive way, like celebrate people that are like failures. But I was like, I think that's kind of like a societal universal thing where it's like, 
part of the cheering people on is like, wow, look how far this person came. And then part of it is like this sort of weird obsession with people that like maybe don't fit in or like are, are unskilled at, at something. But I didn't really see the story as, as his fans celebrating him because he's such a comic flop. I sort of saw it as, oh, this inspiring story and everybody is rooting him on as he goes to the Olympics. And even though he comes in last, had come so far. But that was just a little review I found interesting and thinking about, yeah, like how failure is perceived and celebrated on like a really wide uh, scale and and uh, especially in huge events like competition, like either, you know, singing competitions or in this case, the Olympics. Yeah. And it's something that the movie even says at one point, he's meeting with um, the council of like selection for the British uh, Olympiads. Uh, They're telling him all these reasons that he can't qualify this and that. And just before the conversation ends, uh, they say something that the the council says something to the effect of like, look, this is the Olympics. This isn't about amateurs. And he quits back. It's exactly about amateurs Um, that it is sort of, um, a very financially like gate kept uh, sort of thing in a lot of ways, but uh, that at the heart of the Olympics is just, you know, anyone who qualifies can compete, uh, which I think, yeah, Christine is why it's, it's really satisfying in the end when uh, he is celebrated by people because I, and I don't think it's because, you know, like an, in an ironic way or a self-deprecating way, they're, they're celebrating it because to him, it is such a benchmark because he he's satisfied with his jumps each time in the Olympics as far as how he did because he was able to compete and achieve it. And uh, that enthusiasm becoming infectious, whether or not it is uh, what we think of as like an Olympic figure, like a champion, you know. And he's just some dude, right? Like he could be any one of us. He does terribly. He comes in last, but it doesn't matter. So it really gives the the viewer, whoever that is, whether in 1988 in real life or us watching the movie, that that could be us. I think the movie does. Like I, I did go on the whole Wikipedia and read about the real Eddie the Eagle and as all biopics tend to do, it very, it very much truncated this timeline and the story. And he, he did spend, I mean, he was a downhill skier. Uh, and so he had those sort of foundational skills of like skiing. And it was interesting, like he was doing the, the jumping circuit for longer than a year. He, like the movie sort of suggests that it was like, oh, he got booted from the ski team. So now a year later, he's at the Olympics. But it, it is interesting to see how a movie, a, how a movie decides what uh, important moments to highlight in a story and how it sort of sustains that uh, arc. But fascinating guy. And it sounds like he was clocking in much longer jumps, even though he didn't qualify for the net for the 92 or 98 or what's six <laughs> math <laughs> um, Olympics. He was like doing jumps in the like 80s, 90s, hundreds, which is kind of interesting that even over the course of his life, he still continued to improve, even though he couldn't achieve the Olympic t- or like couldn't make it on the Olympic team. That kind of leads me to a question I have, and this is both, you know, movie related, but then also just like Eddie related. Is this 
a legacy of success or is this a legacy of failure or or neither? Or does it matter? I mean, success for sure. That that like was a movie, I feel like growth mindset right there. Like social cognition, you never give up. You learn how to do something, you go for it. Yeah, I suppose it's a question of, you know, whether if we're talking about the film, then yeah, absolutely one of uh success with um maybe a different meter stick than uh the Olympic standard. But um yeah, I get I mean I as far as I know, his career is more synonymous with a not great record, but I guess uh, it depends how much you're going to look into that story, because even just like looking into a story a bit beyond the film, uh, it's very apparent the effort that went into it and his satisfaction with his achievements. So uh, it's hard to say. But as far as the film is concerned, yeah, I'd say it's um, it comes out more on the positive side. And at the end of the day, he's one of, you know, probably what one of maybe 30 ish Olympians who have had movies made about them in Hollywood. You know, so it's kind of like at the end of the day, he's the one who had a big, big, or I guess not, it was a British film, but had a major feature, you know, feature film made about him. So I think that that's a, speaks to a level of success that um, more Olympians than not have not seen. And yeah, he was and, a record holder for 13 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not someone that's like, you know, uh, like infamously associated with failure, someone who, who's more famous uh, than than infamous, I suppose, you know. Mm -hmm. I do think the interesting, some interesting elements to his uh, fame during the Olympic Games and like, so apparently he occupied a ton of airtime. And when like, as far as like the focus on the general British winter team, all those press conferences were exactly how it was. All journalists wanted to like get his story and that, and apparently there was a, there was a speed skater uh, representing Great Britain, who was like winning, like a like there was a big as far as like more traditional success stories in the Olympics. All the whole team wanted the focus to be on the speed skater who was like winning medals, <laughs> but instead it was like all of the press attention was on Eddie the Eagle, and I thought that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition. The movie doesn't go into that; it touches on it a little bit where. Um, the the sort of PR lady is like, oh, this makes a great story. And then the other Olympic officials are like, oh, you're, you know, you're making a fool of yourself. You're occupying all of this space. But um, even Jackman, too, sort of saying to him and urging to him, like, look, if you go into this when you're not prepared and when you're not ready to, like, achieve the standard, then you'll be remembered for your failure. And so the per- so the character and the person's relationship to the media, I think, is really interesting. And while the movie kind of skims the surface of it, I feel like maybe another approach to this story would be to really understand not only Eddie the Eagle's personal story, but like kind of looking and trying to understand the relationship between events and the media circus that like and like follows people as they compete on the world stage in spaces like the Olympics. And then I think the story could continue in really understanding the aftermath of all of this. From what I was also reading, he like lost all of his money and then had to like go back to building. And then he, this was after he was doing a whole press um, tour with like uh, being interviewed by like Johnny Carson and like going on all of these big interview platforms 
but then finding himself not only not qualifying for the Olympics, but like running out of money and, and dealing with financial issues. And I think an interesting study would, or like sort of story would be to understand how it impacted his personal life post Olympics. And like, how does someone navigate being famous suddenly, and then trying to figure out kind of like where they fit if they're no longer pursuing the sport that they got famous for what's their relationship to like yeah meet the media and people who are obsessed with their story well it does seem like he's a pretty well-loved figure in um, British society. He was chosen to carry the Olympic torch in what was it 2006 2010 2010 great thanks Connor. <laughs> it's in my notes why didn't i just look and i would say he he ranks like like a like a moderate celebrity right now he's on a lot of like reality tv shows doing that type of circuit so that's michael edwards eddie the eagle but i i wanted to talk a little bit about him first since like i had been completely um blind not in the know of him and his story um and now like let's get into the actual movie so um i picked this movie because of taryn edgerton obviously the podcast my hosts here my co-hosts and our listeners um shouldn't be surprised to know how much i love taryn and um he's kind of like a biopic king um he's done at least six other biopics or or at least like um has played a real person in six other things so blackbird rocket man testament of youth billionaire boys club legend and then eddie the eagle and i I, christine you mentioned that he made some weird choices so i'd love to to hear what y'all think about his performance um as eddie the eagle we we talked at length about him as elton so so what do you think about him taking on um this ski suit i feel i feel like this is one of those things with with kids where like someone has to sit down and tell them like if you keep making that face it's gonna get stuck that way um something yeah the furrowed brow and the sort of like uh the the sort of underbite which i I guess is like a little bit like kind of like the look of of the guy in reality but it's it's an interesting performance It, it felt to me almost at times like he was simultaneously playing jim carrey's role and jeff daniels's role in dumb and dumber at the same time <laughs> um but he does it with a sweetness and like a you know a very pronounced like you know uh the, the underdogness of it all is very very palpable and the drive behind that so um yeah mixed bag with him i'd say i think yeah i think dave you meant the yes the the constant furrowed sort of quizzical look and and it sort of i i get the choice as far as sort of playing up the comedic aspects of like all the scene, like it's a comedy fundamentally. And I think, I think towards the second half, I think it, as the story really starts to come together, you know, as he gets to the Olympics and the scenes and the back and forth with him and Hugh Jackman's character, it feels like Taron Edgerton it's, it like feels a little bit more grounded in his, like his performance feels more grounded in the back and forths with Hugh Jackman. Uh, but yeah, I think I agree with Dave. There was a little bit of the same repeated thinking and reacting faces <laughs> over and over. What if that's just Eddie's face? 
Yeah, I, I think it was definitely very much like, okay, this is the person and I'm trying to like mimic or not mimic. Yeah, mimic their, you know, expressions and stuff like that. Uh, but I think as an actor, it's not just mimicking facial expressions. Like you have to convince the audience of like the motivations for the characters. And I, I the movie is consistent in its like message that nothing will stop Eddie the Eagle. He is he he has his sights set on the Olympics from you know boyhood. He's gonna do it. Nothing is gonna stop him. But I felt like as far as character development, it didn't totally give me more than that. And we get a little bit of it when he um had issues with his knees growing up and had to spend time in the hospital. And you get a sense like he felt limited as a child and like really doing something so physically extreme could give someone like that so so much freedom and sense of purpose and motivation. But I still think there could have been a little bit more that we could have been given as an audience to really understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think, well, certainly not as meaty as um, the script in Rocketman or the role that you know, playing out with John in Rocketman. I think it's not necessarily about his growth as a character. I don't think that's quite what the aim of the movie is. Like, I think what, for me, I thought what was interesting uh, was that he has that kind of laser focus and it's sort of like everybody else in his life, except for his mom is trying to like derail that focus that he has. One scene I thought that was really funny was between him and his dad. Uh, when he's like, didn't you ever have a dream dad? Uh, and his dad was like, Oh, come on. He goes, I'm not made of stone. It's like, well, you never, what is your dream? You never told me my dream was to be a plasterer. And he's like, my son and just drives away. So I, I that, really that enjoyed it. That, that was so committed to throughout the movie. It comes up so many times that it feels like it's a very obvious joke. And so I think for me, I really enjoyed Terrence playing off of the other characters. While certainly, uh, I think quite a bit skating along the surface without you know probing super deep into a lot of complex character development. I don't think that was quite the movie's aim. Um, and I think a lot of it is sort of like he is protagonist vessel. He is focused and we're going to follow this main character as the world and the slopes throw many obstacles his way. And ultimately he, you know, kind of triumphs over those through his commitment to who he is uh, and not having to change as other people want him to change both his enemies and his loved ones. Yeah. Maybe there's a reason why this is Eddie, the Eagle and not, um, Michael Edwards, right? It's very particular time and place. That's a very different uh, British film. Michael Edwards. <laughs> I, I loved the scenes with him and his parents, though. And it was giving, it was kind of taking me back to fighting with my family and like uh, the dynamic that um, uh, Paige has with her parents. And like, yeah, I, I really did enjoy a lot of the family scenes. Um, at the end, when uh, Eddie's mom and dad are wearing the I'm Eddie's mom, I'm Eddie's dad. Uh, Taryn had a sweater that says I'm Taryn and his mom had I'm Taryn's mom. So that was really sweet. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I love Taryn. I think that he did a, a good job. Um, maybe kind of getting on his feet when it comes to really knowing how to act in a, in a biopic where, it, and, and we, we see that he, he lands it in rocket man and even in blackbird too. Um, so there's another actor in this movie featured prominently Hugh Jackman. Let's talk about good old Hugh. 
Yeah, this was one performance that was fine. It was Hugh Jackman being Hugh Jackman, Wolverine light. Uh, yeah, I, I described it as to my wife that he didn't really stretch his legs in this role. It was just him. He was comfy. He had his comfy jeans on. He showed up to work. I'm sure he had a fun time. He probably liked rolling on the yoga ball, breaking the Norwegian set, uh, like their workout room. So he had some fun stuff to do, but it was a lot of him in sunglasses, grumpy, pretending to drink. Yeah, wasn't actually alcohol on set, but uh, yeah, he was fine. He was perfectly serviceable. He's Hugh Jackman. He's very likable, but not not the performance of the century by uh, any metric. I will say that the dialogue given to him, not terribly great. I would argue, though, that he understood the assignment. It was a fun role to watch. And I think he's just generally, yeah, Connor, he's, he can pretty much do a lot of different kinds of roles. And, you know, maybe Hugh thought he was phoning it in. I thought it was a tone, a performance that matched the tone of the movie. And I, it was a joy to watch. Because it also was bizarre. Like, the tone of the movie is kind of bizarre. Dave, you had texted about the score that's, like, blasting 80s kind of weird thematic music. And so I think this movie is, like, kind of unhinged in a way. And I think that Hugh Jackman's performance was adequately unhinged to match the tone of the movie. I think... It's, it's a tough part for well, it's it's a tough part in general. I think that this is a very very tropey character, the way that the character is written. Um, you know, it's the beleaguered, once great, um, you know, former of the sport who, in their shame, is retreated to alcoholism and is still kind of like tangentially connected, like he grooms the slopes and everything, and then reluctantly helps uh, helps uh, uh, you know uh, an ambitious. Uh, underdog uh pursued their dreams that he he uh squandered the talent of and so on uh it's, it's very painful by numbers i do think though i mean yeah i i agree with christine he uh he un- he, he, he he melds into the uh the movie pretty well as far as the overall tone and his performance i think you know when you get hugh jackman shouting whether that be terrifying shouting a la prisoners or uh enthusiastic shouting as in the end of this movie uh he sells it either way he said when he's active and activated as an actor he really shines and i think he does have those moments here um but i do i do agree connor in the sense that he gets a little lost in some of the doldrums i think not as fault of his own maybe as an actor but uh maybe an underbaked part i think some of the stuff is is pretty funny i mean like especially it's it's when he is his most like logan in the movie when he's going down he's, he's plastered and he's like i'll show all you youngsters how it's done and he you know without any equipment he's just sort of like it's still like he's dressed like wolverine and is just going down this uh this big run and i think that it's it's cg in that time in that moment in, in other moments it's like some of the falls look very bad on my new big hd tv and that moment in particular is like, it's so uh, stylized and it's set to, of course, Thin Lizzy's cowboy song, which uh, in the house that I used to live in was like the like, turn the lights on at the bar. All right, it's four o'clock. One more round and we're all going to love this song. And then everybody has to leave because it's 4 a.m. song. So I, I got a big attachment to that song. I was super stoked when I came up. I, I thought the scene, the way that it's stylized and everything looks ridiculous, but it, it's supposed to be mythic. 
it's supposed to be a huge moment in an already pretty exaggerated movie. So though I think it's it's not very well rendered, uh, it's it's pretty fitting and kind of a fitting tribute to that character in a way that's pretty fun. And but still better effects than X-Men Origins Wolverine. So <laughs> got to give Eddie the Eagle props for that. I mean, I loved the training montage. You know, any sports biopic has to have a training mi- montage. This one has like three. This one really milks the training <laughs> montage. But I'm well, one happy. of them is just him falling over and over and over again. But I loved the like dirty dancing, uh, like lifts. You know, I was all about the beautiful choreography between Jackman and Edgerton. And those were some of, I think, the high points for me. And of course, the Bo Derek imagine. Oh my God. <laughs> it was like, so like, I was like, what is going on here? But then once again, I always find, I guess I'm also just like team Jackman in most situations. Uh, and it's just a joy to watch him like, yeah, simulate an orgasm. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so we have to explain this a little bit. Yeah, this is a scene in the training where he's he's talking about, he's, he's equating, a Jackman to, um, to Edgerton is equating the, the nuance of a jump to, uh, well, to, 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 to an orgasm, to sex, to the... Uh, <laughs> The rhythm, then the buildup, and then the release. And you got to make the face like you're really blah, blah, blah. So, like, what's an actress that you find really attractive? And Edgerton is like, honestly, uh, Bo Derek. He's like, <laughs> okay, Bo Derek, I can work with that. <laughs> it's an interesting choice, though, because if you know about, like, Bo Derek's marriage to John Derek, it's really sketchy and weird. And she is, like, a strange sex symbol in a lot of ways. It's, it's a strange choice. But, it, yeah, it's a funny moment. It's funny, and I think that it just really highlights the chemistry between Jackman and Edgerton. And uh, some some things that I still go back to this day and watch are their interviews they did to promote this movie. Uh, there was one in particular where uh, he was given this like vodka, and he just downs the whole thing. And Taryn is like, what the Dude, what? He like can't believe that this actually happened, but it was really just water. But Taryn like believes it, and then he gets like so frustrated when he finds out that it wasn't actually true. So I, I love that. And did Taryn and Edgerton have a little glass of milk? <laughs> did he? And they both drank milk at the end. I thought that was a sweet touch. That is a nice little cheers. Yeah. yeah. Were you, Sam, were you grossed out the whole time? Every milk drinking yeah. scene. Were you oh, like, I didn't I even think of that. Yeah. Absolutely Gross. disgusted. Oh, I love Hugh Jackman so much. <laughs> I'm so glad you. You brought up the milk thing, though. Yes, absolutely disgusted. I also feel like this has been a recurring theme in some of the movies I've been watching lately. Just, like, the presence of adults drinking milk. Like, that happened in 1972. Like, ew. Enough. Let's let's move away from this. And with his hands. Okay, that was out of necessity. If you were leaving the World War One trenches and had to, like, find some sustenance, you'd be drinking milk from the bucket, too. I guarantee it. But how was that milk? <laughs> Super fresh. But how? <laughs> and then it stays in his, like, watered-down dysentery canteen cooler to then give to a baby? <laughs> I know. You know, after we recorded that episode, I was like, I thought more about the milk. And the Batman came up the other day, Sam, and I thought about your milk. And Zoe Kravitz drinking all that milk. 
Strong bones, baby. Strong bones. <laughs> yeah. Thank anyway, you, listeners, if you're sticking with us, oh yeah, just know <laughs> this is uh, what like Sam hates milk corner. Um, I bet it would be so fun to do a press tour with Hugh Jackman. Like that's probably got to be like peak success. Mm-hmm. I I would love to see more movies with Taryn and Hugh. Like I thought they had great in the you know generally I think a little underbaked script. I thought that they re- they were two actors who I think really brought the film to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would just, this this is a pairing that was like, I would love to see a few more movies uh, with these two together. Because I thought they were, like, physically they're different. Like, I thought they, ju- they just make a really good kind of odd couple pair. Yeah, and, and they're still friends to this day. They wish each other happy birthday and, like, oh. kind of talk to each other on Instagram quite a bit. And wouldn't it be great if Hugh could just like pass the torch to Taryn to be Wolverine? Like in the like a like a no way home. Yeah, <laughs> the Wolverine like, one. Something like that. Wouldn't we just love it? Well I would love it anyway. Um so okay so we talked about Taryn, we talked about Hugh Jackman. Anything else we wanted to chat about when it comes to Eddie the Eagle? These kid actors playing um young Eddie it's a shocking similarity to Taron Edgerton. It was jarring. I was like, does he have kids? Who are these people? <laughs> like, they're spot on. It was really weird. And, like, it's just a really good casting. I don't know. And they even look like the little kid who plays young Elton. Like, the, the kids who play, like, young right. Elton and Rocket Man. So it was, like, another similarity, too, with Rocket Man that, that kind of just struck me. I was going to say, hashtag, that snow is real. I would say most of the snow in that movie is real. <laughs> Fuck, I forgot about is the snow real? Oh my god, is this Christine? What a throwback. I mean, that's a butter with that thread, you know? I got it. For newer listeners, we did a cold theme in our first year in December. And then the running theme was is the snow real? So go back to 2018 if you want to relive is the snow real theme. Uh, it remains a running theme anytime we're in a winterscape. Yeah. Has it, uh, and I wanted to ask uh, any of you guys ever ski or snowboard? Either of the two? Nope. I skied like a little, like little kid skiing version in like elementary school and one vacation, and that was enough. I'll I'll tube. I'll sit my ass in like an inner tube and go down like a really fun snowy hill, or like grab a boogie board and do that down a snowy hill. But uh, attaching wooden planks to my feet, small ones or big ones, uh, no. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say yes. I've skied, but never uh, would never do anything like jumping like that. That's like it's got to be feel so good if you know how to do it, and probably absolutely terrifying. This uh, kind of tickled the a, a part of me that of uh, that, that's a weird way to phrase it. I apologize. Um, the interesting subcultures, like jump, like jump skiing in the Olympics, kind of like when uh, we talked about chicken people a very specific subset of people who are obsessed with something incredibly specific. Uh, that So that was like a really fun element of like the, this Norwegian team who I thought they were hilarious. I, I really got a kick out of how much they hated Hugh Jackman. Uh, and then the like finish or were they finished, I guess. Um, and then the Finnish skier who is like, Oh, do you want an autograph? He's like, yeah. Oh, well, can I have a pen? What is that? No, I'm not signing your bus ticket and just walks away. Yeah, he's like, a I bus ticket was- and a pencil. Yeah. Okay. Oh, how about that scene though with the flying fin as he's going up to do the 90 meter? That scene I thought was great and so bizarre. Like also 
the the actor i looked at the actor who played the flying fin and now he's been in a shit he was like in 1917 i was like oh i missed him but um what a weird like what a bizarre like performance (laughs) but it kind of turned his character into this sort of like not omniscient like all-seeing like i but kind of he's like this celebrated jumper who like ends up being like this young phenomenon at the olympics but he's also this like nice little guiding voice who's like you know like you and me we're kind of opposite but at the same time so similar and i was like this is a great pump up motivational speech but delivered in the weirdest way possible and i thought that was one of the weirdest and best parts of the whole movie yeah it's like all of a sudden wait is this when did Bodie from point break show up like talking about like the grandeur of the the, the thrill and the the connection to it and everything and an interesting i think Biopics are very tropey. This one does not escape many tropes of the genre, for better or for worse. But I think the idea of like he is the golden standard. The movie opens with him when he first kind of when Taryn is first learning about the jump skiing world, and then he meets him at the beginning of his career, and then ostensibly at the height of his career is like you're nowhere near me, but you're closer than anyone else in the world to me. I thought it was like a kind of interesting subversion. That's not a conversation as cryptic and weird as it was, but the movie pulls it off because it is kind of it's a it's a strange movie tone tonal <laughs> moments that i don't quite know how to describe it i think christine you did a good job earlier talking about the idiosyncrasies of the of the tone of the film but i think it really works and works as a really great emotional climax for um eddie and his rise to fame it is also one of those things where like he's like he's number one in the world next to like this guy that's coming at last and he's just like uh, don't worry about it, man. Don't take it that seriously. It's just like, that must be easy to say. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Eddie the Eagle, folks. Uh, weird, quirky, small, tender, sweet. That's this movie in a nutshell. So thanks for watching it, my co-hosts. I appreciate that. Butter fam, if you end up watching this movie, let me know what you think. Stay tuned for what we have next week. And uh, I hope you have a good whatever. Bye. (laughs) I could watch you, Jack, and pretend to be the eagle with Taryn, like, at the end of it all all the time. That was really great. Oh, you could watch him pretend to do a lot of things in this movie. This has been a Movie John podcast.